There's a way for you to support type 1 diabetes research and the Juice Box podcast. And you can do that through the T1D Exchange. The T1D Exchange is looking for type 1 adults and type 1 caregivers who are U.S. residents to participate in a quick survey. As a parent of a child with type 1 diabetes, I've taken the survey and it only takes a few minutes to complete. And the questions are not deeply probing or overly personal. They're pretty basic questions about living with type 1. The process is 100% anonymous, completely HIPAA compliant, and does not require you to ever see a doctor or go to a remote site. With the data that the T1D Exchange collects, they've helped to bring increased coverage for test strips, Medicare coverage for CGMs, and they've helped to implement changes in the ADA's guideline for pediatric A1C goals. I find it really exciting to imagine what my participation may lead to. But they need help. They need people's data. They're looking for up to 6,000 respondents. So just my data alone is not going to be enough. Every time someone completes the process, if you use my link, t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox, the podcast will benefit. So if you're looking for a way to help type one research and the podcast, this is a simple way to do both. And it's really valuable. So get involved. Go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. There's links right there in the show notes of your podcast player or at juiceboxpodcast.com. When you get there, click on join our registry now. And after that, simply complete the survey. I want to thank you for your help and get the show going. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 417 of the Juice Box Podcast. On today's show, we have Skylar. Skylar is an adult living with type 1 diabetes who's living in Australia, but is from Oklahoma. And that makes for a very interesting accent. And Skylar makes for a really great episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box Podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making changes to your healthcare plan. We're becoming bold with insulin. I have a little time here, so I'd like to remind you that if you have a great doctor or need one, check out juiceboxdocs.com. Send me your favorite diabetes practitioner, and we'll add it to the ever-growing list from all around the world. That way, when people need a great doctor, they know where to look, juiceboxdocs.com. And if you're looking for those diabetes pro tip episodes, they begin at episode 210 right there in your podcast player where you can find a list of them and even listen online at diabetesprotip.com. All right, here we go. This is it. Here comes Skylar. Hello? Can you hear me? Yep. Hi, good morning. I might just turn you up a little bit. Is this better? Yeah, that's better. There you go. I have this, it's just one setting, and no matter how many times I put it to where I want it, it puts itself back. So I uh, <laughs> I don't, I stopped arguing with it a while ago, and I just go do it myself. <laughs> yeah, technology is great when it works. Yeah, yeah. I felt that way about my uncle. Um <laughs> A little weird. Anyway, uh, hi, good morning. What time is it? Where are you at? Um, I'm in Queensland, Australia, so it's 11 p.m. here. Wow. 
Well, good evening to you then. Yes. <laughs> I'll tell you what we're going to do. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say good morning to you. Thank you. I have to tell you, this is my second Australian interview in like the last five days. Really? The podcast is uh, oddly popular in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually recommended to me by an Australian uh, Facebook group. So, No kidding. That's lovely. There was a person who once tried to bring me to Australia, but we couldn't quite raise the funds to uh, ship my carcass on an airplane. And uh, <laughs> it was one of those weird things where I was like, am I going to fly... 20 hours to talk to people for three hours, then fly back. I was like, that doesn't seem to make sense. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we were. No, th those flights are terrible. See, that's what I thought too. <laughs> they are. You do not think, you know, that your bum can hurt sitting, but it can. <laughs> I, uh, it just seemed like a bad idea. Like, logistically, it seemed like a bad idea. The idea itself was lovely and i was excited to try to do it but that's just crazy i i would have to i would have to build some sort of a vacation around the idea and then yes you know most definitely and then do that while i was there and and if i did that i th i told the person too i was like let's just do like days of it like let's not just do a couple of hours let's bring people together and like do giant q and a's and and workshop and stuff like that and i was like i, I can't just come down there and be like here's what i think and then leave i was like i could I could do that over Zoom for you. If, you know, that, that'd be easy. Um, I've done it before for um, Japan and uh, a couple of other places where you just you jump online for a couple of hours and, you know. Yeah. Any, anyway, yeah. that seems nuts. Uh, I think it'd be, you know, I, I think it, there'd be a lot of interest in it if you were to come over here and do workshops and the like. I believe that too. I just don't know. Um, like I said, I, one day I'll, I have to be, uh, First of all, we're, I record all this, so you know if you go off yep. crazy, like understand that I'll take it out. But um, <laughs> in a minute, we'll uh, you'll just introduce yourself any way you want to be known, and we'll start talking. Yeah. So I was going to say, why don't we do that now so that we don't we don't waste any good conversation? All good. Okay, just let me know when. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. Uh, it's funny. Some people launch right into it, and some people are like, wait for the go, and it amuses me to figure out <laughs> <Yep>. who's who. <laughs> so you can go whatever you want. Okay, so my name's Skylar Cox, um, and I live in Australia, uh, and I use MDI, um, Manual Daily Injections, to manage my diabetes. That's interesting. You call it manual? Daily injections? Uh, yeah, yeah. I know some people call it many daily injections. Multiple but, um, is what I've heard. Yeah, yeah, I've heard multiple as well. Um, I think they're interchangeable. The, uh, it, when you said when you said it the way you did, I thought, oh, that works too. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. I think I've heard both interchangeably here. I think many is... Um, seems more ominous <laughs> like multiple <laughs> multiple just makes it feel like there's going to be more than two many is just like oh you want to keep your blood sugar down you're going to inject many I, times. I guess it depends <laughs> on the mood you're in for the day <laughs> that's great oh, I, I didn't realize we were going to get off to such an auspicious start um <laughs> thank you. you you so you said as we were kind of warming up you said that you found out about the podcast in a facebook group 
Uh, yeah. So I think it was Australians living with type one diabetes or type one diabetes support group, Australia. Those are the two main, two main ones that I know about. Right. That's uh that's very nice. I had, I once had this long conversation with a person from an, from Australia while I was watering uh, newly planted trees in my yard. <laughs> I remember having head, headphones on and my phone and we couldn't seem to figure out how to speak because I guess it's not as easy to call internationally for some people as it is for others. So I, I, I was under the impression that at this point we were all just allowed to call wherever we wanted, but it ended up being really difficult. And I don't, man, we may have actually used Facebook audio to talk to each other, uh, mm-hmm. which is, is that something pretty common for you guys? I, yeah, I have personally found that it is a lot better to use Facebook Messenger um, to call people overseas than it is to actually use the phone uh, for whatever odd reason. Yeah, well, that's what we did. And I got on the phone with this person, and they had been a, a fairly, I believe, lifelong diabetic and were having really like terrible outcomes. And it, it's always interesting when someone reaches out to you and they're sort of persistent. They're like, I really wish we could talk. And I was like, all right, well, you know, if you don't mind the sound of spraying water, um, I'm happy to, you know, have this conversation. And you get on the phone and, or even sometimes on the podcast, I mean, you guys maybe can tell sometimes in the episodes, like sometimes someone starts speaking and I think, Ooh, this is more than I bargained for. Um, and, and at that point, you know, you're, you're in and, uh, anyway, that person ended up doing really well. Um, and it was exciting because like I said, there'd been a a long distance of time with a lot of trouble and it was, it was, uh, it was nice to be able to help. So, um, maybe that one good deed got all the way around Australia. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) it's, it's likely it is likely. You guys have like a real thing, a telephone going on there where you just one person says something and tells another person. And I mean, in my mind, Australia is like as big as what? I don't know. Well, a state? it's actually approximately the size of America, actually. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that. Is that the map thing where the map is drawn in a weird way for navigation? Have you ever heard that, that the world map is this is like the second time I'm bringing this up now um, and and don't know anything about it. But I was joking. Australia is huge. And, and um, it, it's uh, it, it's interesting. But on the world map, it doesn't in any way seem so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I actually learned in human geography a few years ago that um, depending on what kind of dimensional map you use or whatever, some countries are a bit more squished. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks smaller, and generally Australia does tend to get the brunt end of that. Uh, <laughs> makes it a lot smaller than what it actually is. I feel like there's another country near you that sometimes gets lo- left off of maps too. Remember hearing about? All right, anyway, this is not a topography podcast. If it was, yeah, it would be yeah, the no, worst one ever. No. Uh, people would be like, "Wow, I'm on this topography," <laughs> and they don't seem to know anything about maps. <laughs> anyway, Australia, really big place. Um, I'm going to reference back for a second to a recording that I just did that no one's heard yet with another person from Australia who sort of outlined a fairly bleak view for me of how a lot of people there, uh, diabetes is managed. Um, I, I, are there, are the haves and have nots 
healthcare wise pretty obvious there? Um, yes and no. I'd say Australia is really, really blessed in, with the public healthcare system when it comes to being a diabetic. Um, but at the same time, we don't have access to up-to-date technology. Um, so, for example, uh, insulin, prescriptive insulin, 25, 300 mil pens cost you $41 flat out wow. uh, to anybody. Um, but in saying that, we may not have access to all the insulins available, such as uh, Traceba. Um you know, and test strips are subsidized. So they're $15 flat rate for a hundred strips um, for a person not on a healthcare card. But, you know, uh, your CGM devices actually aren't subsidized for people who are basically working enough to not be on a healthcare card and they're over the age of 21 and it's not covered by private health insurance here either. So you're having to cover the brunt of that out of pocket. Is healthcare card a way of saying government assisted? Yes. Okay. Uh, it, it's kind of the equivalent to the Medicare card that's in America. Okay. That's what I thought. Yep. Yep. So I think the Danny foundation is, um, a big advocate, uh, group over here. Um, trying to raise awareness to the government as to why CGM devices need to be subsidized for every type one diabetic. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's actually how I currently have my CGM. It's a scholarship through them. Interesting. Wow. And you're younger. Am I right? How old are you? I am 22 years old. See, that sounds younger. And to me, like with numbers, but you have a more mature voice. So if you told me you were 35, I would have just been like, all right. Okay, then yeah. I'm 35. I'll take 35. <laughs> would you really? <laughs> I would too, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, you mentioned a, a course a moment ago, and I would think that anyone who heard you say I learned in a course, um, but heard your voice would think, oh, this lady's gone back to school. That's lovely. She's probably trying to uh, better herself, but uh, it, you're definitely younger. So what were you studying in school? Uh, yes, I am. I'm currently enrolled in uni. Um, actually, my last test is tomorrow. It opens up online at 2.30 p.m. has to be online because of all the coronavirus. Are you going to cheat? No. Sure? Even though it is open book. <laughs> oh. It is open book now. <laughs> I was going to say, everything is. Let me ask you a serious question for a minute, Scholar. If you were going to cheat, would you tell me? Yeah. No kidding. Good for you. Uh, I think that one, um, I've watched two kids, one go completely through high school and one now halfway through high school and, uh, you know, a Corona couple of, uh, months. And I think that we're teaching our children how to collectively come up with answers unintentionally. So I'm seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of kids, they just, they talk to each other. They have, they have text chains going they have all kinds of messaging. They're talking about their homework and the class. They're not talking about the learning, interestingly, and it's not a good thing, but they are talking about the, the problem-solving aspect of it. And so while I don't believe that a, a lot of American children are going to know who William Burr was, I do think they're going to know how to pull together six of their brightest friends and conquer anything. 
Uh, so it's, it's a, it's, I think it's a very unintended thing. I, I used to think of it as we were teaching our children to cheat, but now I don't see it that way any longer. Now it, you know, it looks like it looks like really good adult tools uh, to have. But yeah, the way people can communicate so quickly, you know, like if you had to, if you were taking your, I don't know, you were doing something in school, remembering back when you were even younger. And you couldn't get the answer and you had to get on your bike and ride to a friend's home to, you know, find out the answer. You wouldn't do that. You'd be like, ah, I'll figure it out. But when you could text somebody and be like, hey, real quick, you know, answer seven. What is that? <laughs> People do that all the time. So anyway, I would cheat if my test was online. Just so you know, <laughs> I just want to be very clear about that. I was the, about the worst student ever. And I would have. I would have taken the easiest way out possible, which ironically, looking back now at this podcast, this whole podcast exists because I wanted the easy way out of diabetes. So, you know. (laughs) Yeah, um, I never really had that issue uh, growing up because my family was a bit slow to get up to date with your uh, technology. So I, you know, my household didn't actually have a computer until I was just entering high school. Um, I didn't have a phone, uh, available to me until my junior year, uh, consistently anyways. So, and I was socially awkward on top of that. So, um, I wasn't really connected enough to be able to get away with that. I want to know how you were socially awkward. But before you tell me, I want to point out that you paused right after you said slow. You said my family was a little slow. And there was this pause. And I thought, is she going to tell me that her parents are stupid or that they didn't get the technology quickly? Like I couldn't tell where you were going to go. And you said you'd be honest about cheating. So I was like, oh my God, this is going to take a dark turn. But uh, it didn't. Uh, How were you socially awkward? How does that manifest in your life? Um, I'd say that I was just never really concerned with talking about superfluous things. Uh, you know, I didn't really care about who was dating whom or, you know, the latest trend or whatever. Um, I was more interested in talking about, uh, more pertinent subjects and nobody really wanted to engage in that kind of depth of conversation. Can I ask, do you find yourself at gatherings? I don't know if you remember gatherings. It used to be people would go all get together in the same place and talk with each other and eat food and things like that. But um, back when that happened, did you um, do you feel like do you ever have that feeling like, oh, I don't want to be here because the conversations aren't where you want them to be. And when you try to take them to where you want them to be, it turns everyone else off. Has that ever happened to you? Um. Not really, no. uh, because nobody ever really talked to me, just to be honest. <laughs> uh, I was just always kind of on the outskirts of those gatherings, you know, prom nights or whatever. I, I only went because my mother wanted to do my makeup and put me out there. And um, yeah, so I just kind of wander around the tables and sort of eat some of the candy. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom was pimping you out so she could practice makeup? <laughs> She's like, oh, you get yes. out there and do things yes. you don't want to do so that mommy can figure out this eyeshadow. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, yeah, it even got to the point where, you know, um, she was bound determined that I was not going to wear my glasses um, to my uh, high school prom. And so because I can't wear 
eye contacts, mm-hmm. I went without my glasses. So I could not see anything. Um, so needless to say, I ended it about 30 minutes in. Was that to, so that you'd find a boy? Is that what she was thinking? Or yeah, she- my my mother really, yeah. She, she tried to hook me up a few times. <laughs> Would your mother say bloke if she was talking about it to you? Or is that not Australian? Um, well, I'm actually American, uh, oh living God. in Australia. Oh, you ruined the whole part. No, I'm just kidding. That's fine. Where were you born? <laughs> Oklahoma. Where the wind comes whistling down the lane? Sweeping down sweeping. the lane. Sweeping. Damn it. God damn it. Can we do that again? Where the <laughs> wind comes sweeping down the lane? Is that the place you're talking about, Skylar? No, 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 no. <laughs> sweeping down the plains. Damn it. Hold on. Third try. Is that the place where the wind comes sweeping down the plains? Yes. Oh, I thought so. Well, I do know that the waving wheat smells sweet, so I've got you there. But so how how old were you when you moved to Australia? Uh, 18. Oh, hell, that wasn't that long ago. Why, no, not terribly. Why'd you uh, bug out? Pretty much my entire independent adult life. So you're not there with your family. Your family's in Oklahoma? Yep. Oh, this is interesting. Okay, let's get into this. What makes you leave Oklahoma and go to Australia? Is it that your mom would dress you up like a hooker and send you outside to find a boy? (laughs) (laughs) No, I found my own boy and he happened to be in Australia. Ah, gotcha. But there were a few other things because the decision was he either moved to America or I moved to Australia. So there were a couple other deciding factors in that. And he talked to you even though you wore glasses? Yes. What a progressive guy. Oh, he actually <laughs> prefers me with my glasses. He finds it weird without them on. I was joking. I think that <laughs> calling him progressive seemed ridiculous to me. Um, so you meet, okay, hold on. How do you meet a boy from Australia in Oklahoma? Uh, well, we had a shared interest in prehistory, so fossils. Ah, that's right. You like the bones of things that have been dead for quite some time that get stuck in rocks. And that is one way to put it. Thank you. I like to, as you know, from listening to the podcast, I'm very good at boiling things down to almost simple. And by simple, I think we know, I mean, you know, really, really, really simple terms. Uh, I, I don't know enough big words to say anything another way, but you, so you had this interest together, but he wasn't in Australia. Did you meet online? Uh, yes, wow. yeah, uh, but not through a dating website. It was actually through the fossil forum. Uh, so it's actually a, a pretty um, well-meaning forum. Uh, the people are very respectful. You have a lot of scientists on there, a lot of um, avocational paleontologists that have contributed a lot to science and the such. And um, yeah, it just kind of, fell in place from there it'd be great if they changed it to fossil forum slash dating app (laughs) because where else are you going to meet other people who enjoy fossils that's not something you can bring up on your own no we we actually have another mate um he's looking for a girl and you know we always joke well you need to go to the fossil forum because he's also interested in fossils I I think it's a reasonable decision, to be perfectly honest with you. Okay, so you guys meet on the Fossil Forum, which 
we're getting very close to calling this episode Fossil Forum. I don't know if you've noticed or not. Um, <laughs> that's only because your parents didn't end up being stupid when the simple thing came up earlier. And um, so he's in Australia. You're in Oklahoma. Oklahoma is not a bad place to – what would you call it when you're looking for fossils? There's a word for it, right? Not really. It's just called fossil hunting or fossil collecting. Okay. And that, is that something you did as a child, like in high school? Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, I used to go to Black Cat Mountain in Oklahoma to look for trilobites. You say that again because I don't know what the hell you're talking about there. Look for what? Uh, so trilobites, they're kind of like these um, pill bug looking things that used to live before the dinosaurs in the oceans. The look and the fossils look swirly. Is that what I'm thinking uh, of? N- oh, sorry. Um, pill bugs. Um, Rolly pulleys. Oh, okay. I found it. Don't worry. I I can't believe that. I can't believe that based on what I just typed, Google knew I was trying to say trilobite. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating. Well, that algorithm works amazing because I was pretty far off. Okay, so these things are weird, and so you'd go out looking for these. Did you actually find these? Uh, yeah, quite a few. Wow, that's pretty cool. How old are they, and how do you tell? Jeez, uh, I think the Black Cat Mountain site has been dated to like around four hundred five million years old. Wow, that's really kind of cool. I think around that, anyways, before the dinosaurs came to play. That's amazing. I'm just anyway. I'm I'm a little lost in in what you're showing me here. That's really cool. How old were you when you were diagnosed with type one? Um, well, see that that bit's a bit confounding to my doctors. Um, I have been showing symptoms for probably uh, about two or so years before I was actually diagnosed, and they reckoned that those two years may have been the honeymoon ending before I actually got diagnosed. And when that ended, that's when I finally went in and got properly diagnosed. Um, So I was officially diagnosed August 13th of last year, but blood tests back in January show that I was clearly diabetic, but that was missed. And um, yeah, it's, and I've had symptoms since before, that um so the idea is is i was in my honeymoon before i was actually diagnosed and at the end of that is when it actually got bad enough that i had to go in i see and um yeah get properly diagnosed gotcha i have a lot of questions about that but first i i'll this will stick in my head if i don't ask this you said i reckon is that that's from oklahoma right not from australia using the word reckon do you know? You know, I'm not. I'm not sure. That's not a colloquialism from Australia I, and from the. I mean, I, I have colloquialis- yeah, colloquialisms that aren't really from either place. It's just from reading a lot too. Gotcha. I thought you were going to say from being in the desert by yourself, but or in the mountains by yourself. But <laughs> you make up words, Scott, after you're out there for a while. So I, so I have a ton of questions. So first of all, you were diagnosed about a year ago, so around the time you were 21. Um, yeah. how, and you had been in Australia for obviously about three years and you still shacked up with this guy or have you gotten rid of him? Is he still in the picture? Nope. He's still in the picture. You, Very nice. So you guys are together doing your thing. He about your age? Uh, he's a bit my elder. Oh, 
Do you want to tell me about that, or are we going to leave that out? Ah, uh, he's six years my elder. Ooh. I know some people um, like to preliminarily judge against that. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah I was thinking quite, good quite for a you. few people. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I, see, no. How so? Because I was thinking good for you because he's probably already got a job. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that, that did help um, with me moving over. Um, well, a lot of people think, you know, that is too big of an age gap and to be fair, it is with the mentality of some people, mm-hmm. um, especially, you know, across different generations. Uh, but we were born in the same generation. Yeah. And, um, you know, being from different countries anyways, we had some differences we had to work through. Uh, we dated long distance um, exclusively for three years. Right. Yeah, three years. Um, so we kind of got through a lot of those differences and also um, my father, for example, knew that I was always going to go for somebody older than myself uh, due to just my mentality, I guess. Well, I would think if you're looking for conversation, you're, it might be hard to find at 22 years old with another 22 year old. I was, I kind of half brought up earlier. I'm not good at um, some get togethers. Uh, if I, I don't like having, I'm not good at just basic conversation. Like I can't just sit around and talk about cars or boobs with guys. Like I, I can't do that. Yeah. And and so when I try to speak about the stuff that I'm interested in, I see most people's faces glaze over and I'm like, okay, no one cares about this but me. That's fine. Yep. Uh, you know, and then you can get into another space where you are with like-minded people and it's, it's obviously a much different conversation. But in a lot of those situations, I just find myself like sitting there thinking like, oh, I wonder when I can get out of here uh, because nobody cares. And I can't, I just can't do it. Like I, yep, I, I share those sentiments. Yeah, I, I try, but I can't. And it comes off, I will come off as judgmental if I get into those conversations, um, if I don't stop myself or if I'm not aware of it and stop myself. Um, just like, I'm like, how long can we possibly talk about this? You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. The Sixers are doing great. Let's move on. <laughs> I, yep, yep. I don't see why we need to break this down. <laughs> I'm like, I don't Precisely. work. At ES- I don't work at ESPN. I, I don't. No one cares what I think about this guy's work ethic. How is this Precisely. what we're talking about? <laughs> so, anyway. the world's falling apart around us. Maybe no. Okay. All right. Let's talk about Joel Embiid for ten more minutes. Anyway, uh, point is. Don't love it, and uh, and I get it. Like I get wanting to be with. I can see how it would shake out to age. With me, Kelly is just she's so much smarter than I am that like she she grades out as an older person. So even though she's a little younger than I am, you know, I could talk to her. I'll, I'll tell you right now when people ask like, "What were you looking for in a person?" Even when I was in my early twenties. And I, I don't even know where I got off believing someone would like make a baby with me at that point. But I thought I really do want somebody who I think will be a solid parent. That seemed very important to me. And I wanted someone I could talk to. Like I really, yeah. I, I know that sounds like, I don't know, like I'm making that up, but I, it, it wasn't to me. Like I want to be able to say something deep to someone and have them pause, consider it and respond not stare through me. <laughs> so I just, yes, exactly. Yeah. That that's the key thing I think to a relationship is finding somebody that you can communicate to, 
um, you know, on your deepest passions, you know, interests and everything and have them communicate effectively back with you. Yeah. Um, and that's really where my husband, Troy and I come in, you know, fossils bind us together, but we also have a love for nature and history and the like. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's excellent. Yeah. I didn't, his age didn't interest me as much like in a salacious way as it did in the idea that I could, I, that made sense to me because how could you relocate from Oklahoma to Australia if you didn't have some sort of stability when you reached Australia? And I don't know how a 20, you know, three years or four years ago, I don't know how like a 17 or 18 or 19 year old person could offer you stability to move across the world. So I wasn't, and you didn't seem like a person who was just going to be like, woo, let's do it and just see what happens. <laughs> uh, no, there, there was a lot of paperwork, um, and the like that I had to go through. Yeah. Well, okay. So do you do fossil collection, which I guess is called anthropology? Am I right? Did I get that? Paleontology. Right? Pale- God damn it. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plane. <laughs> I hear it. So paleontology, is that a is that a hobby or is it a profession or is it a future profession? Like how do you see all that? We like to call it avocational. So we're a bit more invested than your hobbyists, but not to the point where we're professionals. So we're friends with the Queensland Museum curator, and we kind of work in tangent with him to identify our finds and to um, eventually work on allocating our collection to the Queensland Museum when we're ready to pass it on. Okay. Is your studies at university, are they focused on paleontology or what are you studying? Uh, nope. I'm actually studying nursing. Perfect. That makes total sense. Okay. So (laughs) there I was being sarcastic. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) How did you, so you found your way into a nursing track before you had type one? Um, no, uh, I actually decided to change after my diagnosis. Gotcha. What were you doing prior to that? Um, Biochemistry. Wow, that sounds incredibly difficult. Uh, so, I, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I just got the chills thinking about taking a biochemistry class. Um, so you're, you're, so are you close to being a nurse? Are you getting there? Is, is that what this last test is for? Are you going to be a nurse after today? No, no, unfortunately, I still have two and a half years. Uh, okay. So, so you get in like a basic, like an undergrad, and then you're going to go to nursing school. Is that how that works? Uh, no, two and a half years and I'll be a nurse. Ah, okay. All right. I'm trying to dig out the why. Does it take six years to be a nurse or is it because you spent the first couple of years on a different track and then switch? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, so I started university in America right after high school mm-hmm. I had a year under my belt studying biochemistry, and then I decided to move here to Australia, partly because uni is a lot cheaper here. It's 8000 a year versus 40000 a year. Um, wow, you were getting college for 40 It's a good deal. <laughs> here yeah, <in> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, yeah, forking over forty grand a year. Wow. And um, – Anyway, so I moved over here, and then I went to go through and finish biochemistry. I had about two years left, and then got diagnosed and realized that I didn't have any particular direction. 
right. uh, with that degree. And I felt nursing um, afforded me a more direct pathway. Good for you. That's wonderful. So when you're, I guess there's two ideas I want to understand. So you're an M, you're, you're doing MDI. Uh, we, and did we meet because in the, in the Facebook group, I was asking for people who are doing really well on MDI. Is that, uh, yep. That's how that happened. Right. So tell, talk to me a little bit about that. Like, how do you, what do you, what's your management style and, and what does that mean that it's working out really well? This is super simple and super quick. I'm just stopping back to remind you about the T1D exchange. Please go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Fill out their survey. And when you do, you're supporting type 1 diabetes research and the podcast. Super simple way to do good things for people living with type 1 and help out yours truly keep this podcast going. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Took me about seven minutes to fill out the survey. It's 100% HIPAA compliant. It's a million percent anonymous, and it's definitely going to do good things for people living with type 1. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. I am typically between 92 and 98% time and range. I don't really have any highs above 8.5. I try and keep it under 7.2 millimoles. Uh, So what is that? I got you here. 8.5 would be around 150-ish, a little more. 7.2 is about 130. So your yep. your highs are about between one thirty and one sixty ish. Yeah, um, I, I consider one thirty a high. Okay. Um, I will actually act at six point five, which I think is a hundred seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll actually act at that point, um, and then my lows I consider seventy. Uh, that's my action point, anyways. Okay. Okay. I like so that seventy. Yeah, 70 to 130, um, but I act on 117 and whatever 4.4 millimole is. 4.480. Yep. Gotcha. So I'll, I'll start kind of eyeing it off around the 80 mark, um, you know, if it's dropping or not. But if it's just leveling out, um, then I'll just kind of let it sit there um, if it's not like a pressing concern. Are you using a glucose monitor of any kind? Uh, yep. Uh, I'm using the CGM provided to me by the Danny Foundation. It's uh, the Medtronic one. Mm-hmm. Very common. So, that, that's the common, commonly available CGM in in Australia, isn't it? Um, no, I'd say Dexcom is actually uh, more prevalent. Um, but in saying that. I have tried the Dexcom and the Dexcom wasn't as accurate for me. Now, given that's on the older versions, we still don't have the G6 out here yet. Yeah. What were you using? Like the G4? Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So. (laughs) Well, yeah. And we're almost to seven, honestly. So. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just crazy. (laughs) It really is. I'm wearing something right now. Actually, this is my last few hours with it. I'm wearing the Dexcom Pro right now. Which, yeah, I heard about that. It yeah. sounds like it'd be a good uh, diagnostic tool. It is, and it's been it's been an interesting um, it's been an interesting 
10 days, um, seeing my blood sugar, excuse me. And, and how, uh, how my body reacts to different scenarios. And it's, it's fascinating. Like it really is. There's just things that move my blood sugar around that I would have never imagined away from food. So even though you have no idea how tempted I am to put one on my husband to see his, because each time I prick his finger, he's at a perfect hundred. <laughs> just constantly a hundred. <laughs> oh yeah. Just, just constantly, you know, either 4.8 or uh, what's 4.8, like 80. Five. No, I didn't know we were going to do that again. Uh, it's no, yeah, it's five. about 80, yeah. 87 ish, like right in there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's just constantly always in there. And it's like, okay, well, I, I kind of want to see what's going on behind the scenes. You want to be my guinea pig? <laughs> I, I'll tell you the one thing that, that fascinated me more than anything is that when I go outside in the heat and work, my blood sugar tends to go up with or without food doesn't matter and, and not go up a ton, you know, not, not the way people would type one think of going up. It, you know, it would go up like 10, 15 points. But when I was really active or working outside, especially in the heat, my blood sugar would go up a little bit. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because your body would be utilizing more glucose. So it'd be, yeah. Yeah. Elevating. I, I'm assuming there's like a little control guy inside of me. That's like, Oh, this fat ass is going to try to do something strenuous. He needs help. And <laughs> they just, you know, hand over a little bit of glucose to make it happen. Uh, but I've yep. tried eating well beyond my desire to be full to see what happens. And it still, my blood sugar won't go over like 140 something. And I mean, like, yeah, I envy you. Um, see, with doing MDI, I have. Um, tried pushing myself and basically subjecting myself to my own experiments, mm-hmm. you know, so um, I will sit there and, you know, I'll have my relatively healthy <laughs> food days and then I'll have my days where it's like, I will just gorge out on carbs to see how much I can push myself with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so it, it's, while I envy your perfect sugar levels at the same time, I find it engaging to be able to experiment with my own because they actually do fluctuate a little. I do actually have to do the process of elimination to figure out what's actually causing what. Oh, I think it's, I think it's amazing to do that. I think it's how you come to bigger answers and how you can then eventually take care of food in a way that you want that could be problematic. Because if you know what the problem is going to be, then you know how to, you know, act on it before it becomes an issue. And exactly. Yeah. I just, exactly. been, I've been I mean, really fascinated. Call me crazy, but I actually find it, you know, diabetes is the one chronic illness that you can actually sort of play around with and see your results in lifetime. So I actually, in some morbid way, find it fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you like digging around in rocks looking for things that have been dead for a long time. So I'm not judging you yeah, past true. that. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, I, I don't make sense anyway, so. <laughs> well, to one guy you did. That's good enough. Um, I I keep flashing back and thinking, like, what did your dad expect painting up his daughter and sending her out into the world was going to happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, he was a bit uneasy, but... Um... He trusted my inspe- uh, my instincts. He knew that I was very uh, cautious, reasonable. Um, I was going to have, see from the outset with any relationships. My motto has always been 
go for character, not beauty, because uh, beauty fades, character remains. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that's always been sort of my um, prerogative when looking at a relationship. And, um, yeah, so well, I didn't really... Yeah. In fairness, Go ahead. I, I only know one thing about Oklahoma. Uh, the, those people are incredibly scared to drive in any kind of inclement weather. And it was a huge <laughs> letdown uh, when I found out. Uh, I was in Oklahoma and uh, given a talk. And I thought, this is like, I'm going to meet a bunch of cowboys. Like, that's how I felt about it. Like, I was like, everyone's <laughs> going to ride up on a horse. They're going to probably have like a steer like like lassoed and like slung over their shoulder. They're going to cook it for dinner. These are the people I'm going to meet. Giant pickup trucks. Uh, that And the weather got inclement for an hour, and people were like, we can't come. And I was like, wait, what? Just like, oh, it's, 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 and I was like, wait, it's, I looked outside. I'm like, you're kidding. Like, this is going to stop you? I thought you were cowboys. Uh, but turns out, uh, rough and tumble people, in unless any kind of precipitation falls out of the sky. <laughs> and they're like, ah! <laughs> And I, why is that exactly? Do you have any idea? Well, it depends. Where did you hold that workshop? Mm, you were, you're asking me to remember where I was exactly. That's was it Oklahoma City, Tulsa? <sighs> Felt more north. I don't know what that means. Anyway, I don't remember. I, I feel bad for the people who were there. See, I'm not good at like words, names. Your big city people mm -hmm. um, are a bit more trepidatious about that sort of thing. Um, when it comes to ice and the sort, um, I'd say we're a bit more cautious, but that's more so because a lot of Oklahomans do drive big pickup trucks. I thought that. I was like, this is your time. Like, get out yeah, there. But see, the issue with that is trucks like to fishtail. And unfortunately, Oklahoma doesn't get so much snow as what it does ice. And ice can be pretty scary to a pickup driver uh, wow. because you're fishtailing all over the place. No because weight your back's in the back. Not secured. That's right. No yep, weight in the exactly. back. Exactly. I understand. And because Oklahoma has crazy weather, we also, you know, we actually call her bipolar. Um, nobody expects to constantly have a weight in the back of their pickup truck um, to prepare for a sudden, you know, bout of ice. You know, I was just thinking if anyone ever says to anyone that, uh, hey, it looks like you've gained some weight in your your back part, you can just say, I'm trying to get ready for the ice. <laughs> I don't want my ass end sliding out from under me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, so when I'm interested in, about, you know, what are you using as your slow acting insulin? Uh, so I use Lantus. Lantus. Okay. And your fast acting is probably Novo Rapid, I'm guessing? No, it's no? Humalog. Humalog. Okay. Humalog and Lantus, you're injecting. How frequently do you find yourself in inhospitable places digging around for fossils and how long are you out there when you're doing that how do you manage through that situation okay so <clears throat> usually about um anywhere towards the end of june into late august october um is what we call the fossil season. It kind of depends on the wet season prior. So see Australia doesn't really have intermittent rain in our area. It just kind of dumps everything in the beginning of the year in one week. And then you're left to deal with what you got for the rest of the year. Um, so during that wet season, we can't really go look, uh, but during the dry season we can. And so 
what is that? There's like anywhere between six and eight months time frame. And during those six to eight months, Troy and I will go out every weekend. Uh, and, you know, anywhere between four and eight hours, uh, we'll just be trekking along uh, looking for fossils. Wow. And so you're pretty removed, I would imagine, from amenities during that time? Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, we're kind of... We're in areas of very patchy reception. Um, we're well away from where emergency services can get to us mm-hmm. uh, quite readily. What do you bring with you then to be ready for that? Do you ever spend the night? Uh, no, no. Um, because our fossil areas are pretty close to us. Um, so, you know, we can just drive you know, about an hour or so away and come back the same day. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm going to ask you a question you don't have to answer. Have you ever found something that it was so exciting that you had sexy time out in the middle of nowhere? No. (laughs) May I suggest that? Because it seems like that would be nice. Um, Not that you need to take my suggestion. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's it's been brought up before, but you know, just the, the habitat isn't that nice. It, it's the pretty dust. The dust thorny is the and, and everything. I got you. And by it's been brought up before, you mean Troy brought it up. And by Troy brought it up, you mean every time you're out there, he brings it up. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, not not every not time. Every time. <laughs> He probably has a calendar, and he's like, oh, no, I said it last time. I'll skip this time. Bring it up next time. <laughs> uh, for clarity, uh, I would say it every time, too. I'd just be like, hey, you know what we haven't done yet while we were out looking for fossils? <laughs> uh, uh, there are so many simple jokes here that uh, yep, people yep. are filling in in their own head. Oh, um, uh, yes. Yeah, but uh, it's yes. fine. Uh, I, I'm trying to keep it friendly, but... Um, Anyway, oh, I can only imagine what the listeners are thinking of right now. I can't even say what I'm thinking. That's that's where we're at right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but no, I just um, it just seems very secluded. I guess was my my overall point. Yeah, and so yeah, you're, it is right. So you're by yourself. What do you bring with you as far as like food to sustain yourself? And and do you ever and do you pack for the idea of like what if we became stranded, a car broke down, or something like that? Um, let's see. Well, I usually have a pack. Um, my pack usually includes like, you know, uh, jelly beans. It's got, you know, your glucagon shot. It has insulin. Um, what else is there? We usually pack like, uh, a five or one brownie because they're like 15 grams. Mm -hmm. Uh, some nut bars, which are like 12 grams, that's protein, um, you know, and just every couple hours or so, we'll just find a spot of shade, we'll pull over, um, you know, drink some water, I'll check my sugar levels, and then we'll proceed accordingly. Does the process of looking um, bring your blood sugar down? Is it, is it, I'm assuming it's like a lot of manual labor, right? Um, it's mostly walking. Um, because you're looking in areas of erosion. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of wanting to let nature do the work for you. Because, oh. I mean, the chances of you just picking a spot and digging in, uh, the chances of you actually finding something are quite low. 
Uh, but if you kind of let nature do it for you and you just cover a lot of ground, you're more likely to pick something up. Um, so uh, there is that. Um, and usually when we go collecting, it's interesting that no matter what my blood sugar levels are, um, they will drop down to about 4.6 and they will just stay steady around that point um, the entire time. Do you feel like you just have your basal insulin really well? Yep. Like, yep. Um, figured out. Yeah, I I do frequent basal tests. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not not necessarily tests, but I will do continual checkups. Like, I'll I'll do a lot of examinations of uh, my blood sugar levels to make sure that it is in tune. Uh, because if my basal's not set, nothing is set. I will get, you know, correction doses off. I'll get insulin rebounds and everything. So as soon as my blood sugar levels start going wonky, the first thing I look at is my basal. Yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm sure you've heard me say, but I think the, the basal's the base, and be, if it's not right, nothing yeah. else works, and it just makes sense. I mean, that you're out wandering around like this for hours at a time, <clears throat> and holding a blood sugar around 85 is um it's it's amazing it's 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 well done work and so how often do you have to adjust your basal insulin like a little more a little less do you find yourself doing that um mm, i usually only have to do a major change about maybe once every three four months um but you know there will be some weeks where it's like okay I'm a little stressed from this I might need an extra unit or two mm-hmm. uh, and then I'll see how that goes or ah uh, you know like this last week I suddenly you know I went through one of my major changes and so um, I actually went from 24 units down to 15. What was what precipitated that? Um. I'm not honestly sure. I mean, is there really any ever clear cut answer with diabetes? No, no. I was just wondering if maybe like, you know, you, I don't know, threw away like your head and then you were like, oh, there's no. less body or something like that. Like that's a, cause it's a big jump. It's, it's interesting because it actually came at a time where I am more stressed because, you know, it's the end of the semester. You have exams. Mm-hmm. I recently changed jobs. Um, you know, so there's a lot of crazy things going on right now. And yet, you know, my basal insulin just, just, you know, my body just decided to be more sensitive to it. Wow. That's interesting. I, it's cool. And how long did it take you to figure it out? Did you have some lows and you were like, what is happening? Um, Actually, no, I was having a lot of weird highs. So usually I actually have uh, my insulin to carb ratio and insulin sensitivity factor pinned down um, mm-hmm. in so much that I can do a quick calculation and I can tell you exactly where one unit of insulin will bring me approximately within 0.2 millimole yeah. or, you know, how many grams carbs will raise me millimole wise. Um, you know, I actually have a graph for conversion factors um, that works really well uh, based on it. A variety of scenarios, uh, just simple math, simple algebra, conversion factors. But once you nail down your insulin to carb ratio and your insulin sensitivity factor, um, it, it makes it really easy. It, it's basically kind of like doing the um, bolus 
calculator, you know, your bolus calculator on your insulin pumps. I'm right. just doing it manually. Um, you know, you and I'm adding that? in a few others. Um, a lot of reading. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so, um, I read a lot of scientific reports. I read about, um, the equation of um, dividing 460 by your total daily dose to get your insulin to carb ratio, and then 130 divided by your total daily dose to get your insulin sensitivity factor. And then, you know, um, I never necessarily liked algebra or chemistry, but I was proficient in them enough that I put two and two together and I was like, Hey, you know, this is actually really simple algebra and conversion factors. In fact, in chemistry, uh, there's a graph showing, um, how to easily figure out your conversions from like millimoles to particles to units of measurements or whatever. And basically I just took that concept and I plugged it in with diabetes. Um, so my graph shows, um, millimole units, uh, insulin units, and grams of carbs. And in between those conversion factors, you have your insulin to carb ratio and insulin sensitivity factor. And you use one of the two or a combination of the two to get from one to the other, depending on your situation. Hmm. Wow. So, Jeez, that's fascinating. Like, and you figured this all out in the last year? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh I told you you were more like 35. That's why you were so like, I would take that. In the beginning, you're like, 35 sounds right for me, I think. Uh, that's really uncommon for people to figure out on their own to begin with. And I think at your age, it's really, it makes it a little more uncommon. Do your, um, does your period change things for you? Um, not really, um, because I actually have the implant. Um, so that actually keeps my hormone levels pretty darn stable. Mm -hmm. Thankfully. Is that the ring? The, am I thinking of the right thing? Uh, no, IUD? I have the impl implant on. Oh, oh, the one in the, the, the literally goes in your arm. Yep. Yep. Oh, gotcha. um, yep. And it works really well for me. The only thing I noticed is before my diagnosis, I had, um, the next plan on, which is like the same thing, just different brand. And I found that at the end of like, uh, after a certain amount of time, it starts scaling back on how much of whatever units it gives you. Um, and so interestingly, when I had to go in for my implant on renewal, I noticed I, I did the calculations because I noticed that my insulin needs increased by a fair bit. And funnily enough, they doubled, which uh, accounts for like the difference uh, between the two because it was a fresh um, implant. So it was putting out more uh, units of whatever chemical or hormone it puts out in you. Right. So, yeah, once I figured that out, I was like, okay, well, maybe I need to double my insulin dose because this is double the dose of um, the hormones, whatever but, I was on. But it becomes consistent and stable. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, it, it only took like the first week of fluctuations. Um, and then after that, you know, I was like, okay, um, this is a new implant. It's putting out, you know, twice the amount or whatever of the former implant because when I was diagnosed, 
Um, I was at the end of the life of the last implant. Uh, so once I did that calculation, I was like, okay, well, my insulin needs have probably doubled and I increased it. And sure enough, it matched. Wow. That's really cool. I actually just, I looked it up here cause I knew what you're talking about. It's, um, do you use, there's only two of them, right? The next Plonin or there's another next Plonin. Next Plonin is that is that the one you use? Uh, it's the first one I had. I currently have the Implanon. I think they're the same thing. They're just different brand names. Gotcha. And and this just this little. How long is it? Like I can't tell. Um, I don't know. It's like an inch and a half long. Okay. And it's just inserted. Is it injected or is it inserted surgically or how do they do it? Uh, yeah, it's sort of insert, like they make a small incision and then it like injects itself in. Hmm. That's crazy. And and it lasts for years, right? Yeah, it lasts for three years. Wow. So it's funny you brought that up because I've been looking for a birth control for it. No, because I, because somebody brought it up to me the other day. Uh, I just don't want to get pregnant. I think at my age, it would be, it would be difficult. But um, it, it, somebody brought it up the other day and said, Hey, when your daughter gets older, uh, I got a lot of stability in my blood sugar by using an IUD. It was a note I got. I get the strangest notes, by the way, uh, and that was one of them, <laughs> uh, which I was really grateful to hear about. And it just made sense instantly. It's like, yeah, this just, you know, gives it, it you know, I don't have, I forget how this this implant or this thing it's probably not an IUD. I'm probably using yeah. the wrong words, but it's another, it's like a ring or something like that that has, I guess, yeah. horm- hormones on it, right? Marina? Yeah, listen, it's something like that. Like, it, again, a lot of emails and I'm scanning <laughs> that. I'm like, this one's super interesting. Like, a person has taken the time to write me to say, this might help your daughter when she gets older. And I was like, oh, I'll keep that in my head. Uh, but then you just brought it up too. And it just, it, it makes total sense that. You take that fluctuation yeah. away, it gets easier to manage your blood sugars. That's very, uh, very interesting. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. Um, the only caveat with that is each birth control, you know, e- each person reacts differently. So the implanon works perfectly for me, um, but it may not for other people. Sure. I know other people have had issues. <laughs> like they grew like a third arm or something like that or <laughs> – um, no, I think the most common issue is, um, inconsistent bleeding. Um, weight you know, gain. some people can, tri- yep, yeah, weight gain. Right. Um, but you know, side effects are to be expected when you're changing the chemistry of your body. Yeah. You would think I, yeah, I guess it's, it becomes a trade off at some point if you decide you want yeah, to do it or yeah, not. It, it really does. When right. you're taking any sort of medication, you have to outweigh, you know, you have to weigh the benefits versus the side effects. Yeah, no kidding. Huh. All right. So how much of your stability is based around your diet, do you think? Um, none at all. Um, <laughs> you know, there will be some weeks where, you know, I'm a star pupil. Well, not even some weeks, even some days where I'm a star pupil and I'll just sit there and I'll eat, eat my meat and my veggies or whatever. And then there's other days, like the other day, um, I had, a, <laughs> don't judge me. I had donuts for breakfast. Um, what did I have for lunch? I had a bee sting for lunch, which is like some sort of pastry with cream. And then I had carbonara for dinner. All terrible, terrible carby things. <laughs> on all the same day. Just went yep. for it. <laughs> but 
I never once went above 6.8. Wow. That's, and that's just with your management of insulin. Yeah. So, um, I do have like some markers. Um, so I try to aim for non-diabetic levels because, um, I know a lot of diabetes educators, endocrinologists, um, doctors caution against it because, you know, um, they think that's too low for you. But my thinking is, is okay, well, if non-diabetics can achieve that, and as long as they're, you know, as long as I'm stable and not really dropping below those numbers, then why wouldn't I want to try and aim for non-diabetic levels? I listen, <clears throat> that's what I do here. So, so, you know. So, yeah. So my range is between 70 and 130. Um, and from here, I don't know the conversions. Um, but I think, what is it? A normal non-diabetic is between 5 and 7.2, one hour after eating. And then 3.2. Eight to 6.12 hours after eating. So I try and match um, those patterns. See, that seems myself. reasonably. So you're saying between 90 and 130, five, uh, five and 7.2. I, I, I have to admit, and I'm going to do a, I'm going to do an episode with Jenny about this at some point. When, when I first began doing the things that I do, the things that I talk about on the podcast and etc. I, I, was able to have even tighter tolerances, like the idea of like any kind of spiking. I mean, not that you could really call 130 a spike, but a blip, right? I just was like, yeah. I can keep them all out. But once Arden became uh, a full-fledged card-carrying lady, that that was not as easy to accomplish. And I've really come to believe that there are people doing amazing things for young kids, you know, as, with timing of insulin, but I don't know that that's a lifelong possibility all the time of that super steady, you know, 85 blood sugar all day long. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a ton of work that goes into it. And I don't know, like what I'm not sure of is the love of a parent who can think of a way to do that and to actually keep up with it. People don't, generally feel the same way about themselves when they get older as parents feel about you. Like you don't realize it when you're young, but nobody cares about you more than your mom and maybe your dad. And, and, you know, and so w once you become an adult, like to keep your blood sugar at 85 constantly, I think you would have to have a, a fairly strict restriction of carbohydrates to accomplish that. Um, but I agree with you. I don't know that there's anything wrong with a blood sugar going to 130 for a little while and coming back and having a couple of gentle rolling hills throughout the day. That seems very reasonable to me, and it's very doable. I have a question. Is Did your concepts lead you to liking the podcast, or did the podcast lead to the concepts? Um, admittedly, my concepts led to the podcast. That's what I would think, yeah. It was my um, – I, I love learning as much as I can to incorporate my own sort of um, – See, my, my way of handling diabetes is knowing it is being able to battle it. Um, so I decided, you know, as soon as I was diagnosed, I realized, hey, I don't have to feel icky anymore. I actually have tools within my grasp and knowledge that can be obtained mm. to reverse this around and leave 
lead a completely normal life. So I just dove head in to anything and everything I could, uh, research papers and everything to formulate my own concepts. And then, you know, as I said before, I subjected myself to my own experiments. Um, so now I sort of have like guidelines uh, by which to direct myself as to when to act, when to, you know, ease up, um, you know, for a more holistic view of my health. Um, and then, you know, just in all of that, you know, it was just inevitable finding through Facebook, um, you know, tips from fellow diabetics. And then, you know, of course, the podcast was mentioned. And that's really how I came across it. That's what I I mean, from talking to you for the last hour, I didn't think you were going to say, oh, I was lost until I found you. I, I thought you were going to say, I found you because it was a like minded idea to what I was already doing. Um, yep. Yeah, yep. that's excellent. That's very exciting. And you found all that on your own, just like reading research and figuring things out. That's you to be a that's really like I would applaud for you. But that seems weird because it's a podcast. If I started clapping <laughs> right now, people like there's a weird noise at the end of the show. I don't know what it was. Uh, but seriously, like, somebody should stand up and clap because that's really well done. Good. You know, do you <laughs> handle you. everything like this? Or are you a bit of a mess in other ways? But <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's pretty much how I tackle life. It, it I can't stand. Well, I, I admit that there are always going to be some things that can't be known, but those things that can be known, I want them to be known so I can figure out how to deal with them. That's really cool. And by the way, for anyone listening, jump back a couple of times to hear Oklahoma come right out of Skylar's mouth. She said, "I can't." It was. It just literally went like that for a second. <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to get the vapors and start fanning yourself. I was like, oh my god, we're going right into uh, we jumped right back into the dialect from Oklahoma. You have a really interesting accent. It's a it's a neat blend. Um, it really is. Do you think you'll stay in Australia, or do you think you'll finish up uni and drag Troy to? Oh, I mean, I'm um, not to Oklahoma because what are you going to gonna be do honest, if it rains? You know. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I'd be happy visiting America, but I think I'm really happy with the way Australia deals with diabetes over here. And, you know, because diabetes is obviously a, a big part of my life, mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say it dictates it, but it definitely, you know, I think Australia better supports it. Yeah, that's really cool. That's amazing, actually, that you found that. You only had to fly you know, like a whole day to get there. Do you come home ever? Like, how do you see your parents? Is it like video stuff? Uh, yeah, I, I pretty much voice message them. Um, they came over and visited last year. Um, but otherwise I haven't been back to the States since July 29th of 2017. Well, wow, did your dad try to shoot a wallaby while he was there or something? Cause you know, Americans love to shoot things. <laughs> and, uh, no, no. no. Like um, he he was more keen to try and pet one. Gotcha. I have to be honest right now. Uh, if you showed me pictures of three different animals, I am not 100% sure I could pick a wallaby out. So <laughs> I don't know why that. A wallaby kind of looks like a smaller kangaroo. Hold on a second. This is this is how we're going to end this episode with me trying to figure out what a wallaby looks like. All right. So <laughs> I've figured out the spelling. So we're halfway there. Somebody wants to know if you can have them as a pet. That seems like a poor idea. <laughs> um so I, I, it's very cool oh wow 
If you just told me it was a kangaroo, it was short, I'd be like, oh. If you told me this was a baby kangaroo, I wouldn't know the difference. Are you sure it's not? Maybe you guys are just confused. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do you think I figured out that wallabies are actually just baby kangaroos and no one else knows? I I think that seems... No, no. I'd say, you know, it is is a pretty reasonable assumption. (laughs) Skylar, I like you. You have not let me get away with any bullshit whatsoever while we were talking (laughs) through this entire hour. I'm sorry. I am I am terrible when it comes to sarcasm. Like no. I, I can even understand, you know, when I can pick up that somebody's being sarcastic to me, I, I will still give them an honest, direct response in relation to the thing they're trying not to. No, be listen. You were t- you were terrific. I, I I I wasn't saying it in a bad way. I was just like you'd never like. I was like, oh God, I'm married to this girl. That's how it felt to me. Exactly because you were just like, you were not letting anything go. And I was like, oh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> I already, I already have women in my life who treat me this way, Skylar. I don't need more. Oh my more. goodness, it is, it is, it has been such a struggle. That's been one of my biggest struggles here in Australia. Is everybody is sarcastic here, and their tone of voice doesn't give it away like we do in America. So in America, we're, you know, we kind of, um, you know, exaggerate our head movements or, you know, exaggerate our tone of voice to indicate that we're being sarcastic. Mm-hmm. And over here, they just, uh, they don't give any indication whatsoever. Have, and, you know, I, I have to tell you that away from this podcast, <laughs> I am proud of how dry my sarcasm is. I, I'm only happy <laughs> when no one understands what I'm joking about. That is my happiest place ever. It's not great in personal relationships, in case you're wondering. <clears throat> but um, but you should. I I am never happier than when I, I say something I completely don't mean, and everyone tr- believes it. I really appreciate you doing this. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you were hoping to get to? Um, no, not really. I was a little surprised you didn't ask about corrections, but <laughs> I mean that's sort of a touchy subject in and of itself. Well, hold on a second. Um. Let's get to that. I don't, I'm not, can you go a couple more minutes? Yeah. All yeah. Right. I, I am usually up to like two or three in the morning anyway. So fill, it is no big deal for me. Fill me in. You go. Um, well, um, I just notice a lot of people have issues with, um, corrections and I probably, um, do a bit, I'm a bit more daring in my approach. So again, I'd say I probably do what you do with the insulin pump with Arden, but I do it the best way I can with manual daily injections or multiple daily injections. So with multiple daily injections, we don't have the option of, um, stopping insulin, uh, or, you know, delaying it or, extending it or any of that mm-hmm. our two options are give yourself a correction or give yourself more food right that's the only two weapons in your arsenal so with corrections uh to be able to stay within my target range um i kind of go off of how quickly i'm rising so um i'll just walk you through one of my concepts that I arrived to. Um, so, um, this is the way I think insulin takes about 10 to 15 minutes to work. Uh, food absorbs in about 40 minutes, depending on what type of food you have. This is just an average. Obviously you would suit 
you know, whether or not you have fat and protein or not. Um, but generally food peaks in about an hour. So that's why you pre bolus about 15 minutes or so, 10 minutes for me, I have found mm -hmm. if, if I pre bolus 15 minutes, I started dipping and then rising a lot because that insulin, you know, uh, didn't actually cover the carbs. It dipped me a bit. So, uh, basically if I am still trending up between 45 and 50 minutes after eating, so I'll have like, say a slight arrow up, um, and I'm around the 6.5 millimole per liter mark, uh, you know, just before I hit my 7.2 mark, uh, one hour after eating, uh, because I want to try and stay under that mark, um, I will go ahead and give an additional small bolus, uh, depending on how carby the meal was or not, you know, if it was just, you know, quick in and out carbs, I might scale it back some. Mm -hmm. If it's just your standard carbs, I'll give the standard amount. And that additional bolus actually usually kicks in immediately for whatever reason and starts fighting those additional carbs to bring me back down. Um, so say I'm like going slightly up 45, 50 minutes after eating, so at 6.5 millimoles around that time, um, I usually give like 20% of whatever my initial dose was, or if I'm like rising rapidly, double arrows up or whatever, 30 yeah. to 40%. And then, yeah, um, I, I will be prepared generally to kind of lay down a small blanket of carbs to slow down that drop if I start seeing myself drop. So I kind of like do the reverse, uh, you know, um, I can take that 20% of the initial dose, you know, if I have like straight arrows down and go like, oh, okay, um, I, I might, you know, take some carbs to kind of cushion my landing or whatever. But I know <sighs> most endocrinologists, doctors, whatnot, they don't want you to do a correction until like two hours after a meal. But at that time, you're already suffering from a higher low. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, you're generally speaking, if the arrow's going up or straight up, that means that my initial bolus or timing was wrong. And more often than not, I can rule out the timing. Um, and, you know, I, I go to usually, the amount yeah, and then I, I can figure, yep. I can figure out that it, it's the amount. So right. I will go ahead and give that additional amount that I should have probably taken. And then it's not stacking if you need it. And that's it, exactly, right. exactly. And, you know, it, I hardly ever have any issues with it. Like, you know, uh, because it takes about four to five hours completely to leave the system, if it does drop me, it's usually at that very, very tail end where it's just starting to really slow down. And I can really see that. And it's like, okay, throw in like three or so carbs and that'll raise me half a unit. And then, you know, I'm sitting easy the rest of the day. How often do you find yourself in that situation where you have to bump a little bit after a meal? Um, hardly ever, actually. Oh, sure. I was going to um, say, I bet you that doesn't happen to you much because you, probably once you see it happen a couple of times, you adjust your ratio for the meal then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think I, I would say it's very similar to what you do on a pump. Um, I, I just do it 
manually and I keep a close eye on it as you would regardless of MDI or not. Yeah. And yeah. So, and I'll just cushion my landing with carbs if needed, but more often than not, it's, it's not needed because that's insulin I needed anyways. You are the right person to be listening to this show. That's for sure. That's excellent. Um, I couldn't agree with what you said anymore. I just don't, I don't watch, you know, I, I've boiled it down to ideas like don't watch a high, you know, do something about it, catch it with food later. If you have to make an adjustment, if it keeps happening, um, that stuff all to me just makes sense. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, yes. have you ever considered, I'm not pushing you. I'm, I'm wondering because of how you talked about it, it seems odd that you don't have a pump. That I uh, don't have a pump. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, at some point I may try a pump uh, just because I want to be able to subject myself to everything and say, you know, I've tried everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the moment, I am happy. Um, well, there's nothing wrong with it. I was just, it, yeah, it, it yeah. just seems like you would have fun manipulating basil and so on and so like I, I just see you at home going oh my god the greatest thing happened today i did a temp basil decrease <laughs> yeah see with my chances i'd probably hit the pump with a hammer <laughs> while you were while you were out there looking for yep bones in the ground yep gotcha i hear yep. you um i can't even begin to tell you like i uh, you, you damage things that you don't even think would be damaged like i had to go and fork out like $800 for a new set of glasses because in digging for bones, I didn't realize that the dust, uh, you know, the dirt was kicking back in my glasses and scratching them. Mm. Um, so, you know, or prepping your fossils particularly. Um, so yeah, that, that would just be my, my luck. Again, Um, this dust is causing problems more than yep. what I've pointed out earlier. I hear what's happening. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. But I mean, the reason I brought the corrections up is because I, it just, it amazes me with um, a lot of people with manual daily injections, you know, they have issues with that. And it's like, okay, well, if the pump, you know, a lot of people say the pump mimics the pancreas best. Well, if that's the case, then why don't you do the manual version of what the pump does. Mm-hmm. D- you know, don't you think um, they're just trying to avoid injections though? Um, yeah, but initially I would say yes, but after a bit of time, you hear of a lot of people say that injections no longer bother them. So why not just so do it? So I can't yeah, so why not just do it? I think it doesn't um, occur to them. I think that I think that they get stuck. It's it, they get stuck in that idea of like, listen, I count my carbs, I put in the insulin, I wait three hours, I test, and then I look and I correct if I have to. That's what I've been told to yep. do. I'm still alive. That's exactly. What I'm you know what I mean? So exactly. I hear it's you. It's because they were told to do it, and that's the biggest issue I have with that is because diabetes is. I think I forget which doctor it was. Maybe Val Wilson or something like that. Um, basically said that diabetes is the only chronic illness where the patient has to do the majority of their healthcare decisions on a day-to-day basis. You know, it, it is impossible to think that an endocrinologist or diabetes educator can make half the decisions that we make during that day. So why, you know, 
would you, um, it just amazes me that, you know, um, why you would listen, watch uh, a bad outcome and then do it yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. You know, precisely. And Seems then like keep madness. repeating it and not change it. Right. Um, well, everybody isn't in the same boat with their curiosity, uh, Yes, intellect, yeah, that, even that's, you know that's what I mean, right. like ability to figure it out. Like you, you described reading some things and some simple math, and I guarantee you that there were plenty of people listening. That and I was like, I did not think that was simple. What she said, and it's just because people's some people's minds just don't work that way. Mine doesn't. Like yeah. this whole podcast yeah. um, exists because I yeah, don't understand that. that. that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah. I think just <sighs> trying to think of what I'm. It's, wanting to say it, it's it's not saying anything against you know their willingness or not to um engage in that i think no you get lulled into of, it you, you you do yeah yeah right. you do and i think there's a lot of um stigmatism that oh you know you can't uh, disagree with the doctor or anything. You can't, um, take diabetes management into your own hands. That that's not what you're supposed to do. You're only supposed to, uh, listen to the textbook or whatever. Right. Um, you know, but I think, I think what I'm trying to say is that diabetes, because of the very nature of what it is, it demands a, a more dynamic management system hey you need to be active so if if you want to do well with it then you have to be willing to um be involved you know be involved yeah. exactly and yeah. that that doesn't mean you know completely fly in the face of what your doctor's saying or did you know any of that by by no means i'm saying find a doctor that um has a concept you know has the concept that you know diabetes is unique it's very dynamic it's going to require dynamic managing methods and you know to be there to support you to basically to enable you to manage it on your own yeah that, you know make the decisions that you need to make um to manage yourself well well i agree with you 100 percent, and i very much appreciate you coming on and doing this and taking this extra time at the end to go over what you said i think it's important you know people you got to you got to be involved. You have to, you can't just watch numbers and, and hope it's, you know, you have to do something. And if you don't yes. know what to do, you have to step back and figure out what it is that's happening. And if that's not clear yes. to you, then find somebody that can help you, but don't just stare at yes. it and spend the rest of your life thinking, you know, my blood sugar just goes to two fifty. That's what it does. You know, I, I get 400 once in a while. It happens. Like I, yep. I cannot even begin to tell you 400 that I, Sorry, um, 400, uh, 22.2. Ouch. Yeah, probably I just, don't it, think I've ever had that recorded right. um, as you, of yet. It'll happen at some point, but you're also yeah, on injections. Yeah, it will. So it's not like you have a site that can go bad on your pump or something like that. So there's yeah, some stuff yeah, like that. Precisely. But I'm just going to tell you that the last time Arden's blood sugar was that high, I don't know when that was. That is not something that just randomly happens to us. And it's not luck and it's not magic. It's on purpose. I stopped that from happening and so could everyone else. 
So exactly. you, know, you just need to have a couple of tools and, and then know when to use them. That's pretty much it. Exactly. I, I think diabetes management needs to uh, lean away from, you know, stagnant, hey, okay, do this, yeah, do this, adjust this, see you in six months. I think it needs to be, okay, you need to look out for this, undo this when you start seeing this, maybe try out this. Um, yeah, just you know, they flexible. need to be. Yes, exactly. Um, I think for me, my three main concepts, and I think this is mentioned on your podcast, is um, diabetes problems, blood sugar level wise, are usually either due to uh, miscalculation of an insulin dose, uh, miscalculation of the timing, or miscalculation of the carb count. And, you know, obviously, if you didn't get the results you want, then you need to eliminate. Uh, go through the process of elimination to figure out which one uh, did you in. Yep. It's timing or amount or a combination of both. That's just how I think of it. Like it's you use the, the right amount, the wrong time, the wrong amount, the right time. That's not going to work. It's got to be the right amount at the right time. That's it. Yep. And Precisely. it sounds super simple and it's not, but it is. And once you figure it out, it's one of those things that you'll think I can't ever believe I struggled with this. I I, I just have it now. But in the, yes, the run up to just getting yeah. it is can be painful. So yeah, I could not think to succinctly sum it up more aptly. You should have a podcast and then you would figure out how to say a whole bunch of words in three words, because if you don't do that, nobody can remember it. And, and I know that because I couldn't remember it. Trust me. I, 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 I uh, dumbed this stuff down for me first, not, not for you guys. And, and then after I could follow it, I was like, Oh, I bet you somebody else could understand it this way. So uh, Skylar, thank you very much. I'm going to um, go. I have another recording in a little bit, so I need to get ready yep, for that. That's fair enough. But thank you so much. Huge thanks to Skylar for coming on the show and sharing her story. Also, I'd like to remind you that if you find yourself listening to stuff like this going, oh, I wish I knew how many five millimoles were. If you go to juiceboxpodcast.com, right up there at the top, you can click on A1C and blood glucose calculator. There's a quick conversion calculator there that will also help you see what your average blood sugar means in A1C. It's very cool. Like I'm here now. So if I type in that my average blood sugar was 123, it tells me in an instant, Scott, that's an average A1C of 5.9. Isn't that cool? So let's say your A1C was 6.6. That would mean that your average blood sugar is 145 or 8.1 does all those calculations in an instant. Thanks to a very lovely listener who built this beautiful calculator for me. Again, it's at juiceboxpodcast.com. And at the top, you just click on A1C and blood glucose calculator. If you're considering going to the T1D exchange to fill out the survey, I want to personally thank you. It's very valuable for people living with type 1 diabetes, and it's incredibly helpful for the show when you do so. T1DExchange.org forward slash juicebox. Those diabetes pro tips are at diabetesprotip.com or right there in your podcast player beginning at episode 210. Lastly, I'd love to thank you for listening and, of course, for sharing the show with other people and let you know that in episode 418, I'll be leaving a link that you can go to to watch my blood sugar in real time. So I'm going to wear a Dexcom G6 for as long as I can so that you can see what a working pancreas looks like while it's working. So thanks to SugarMate, I want to thank Josh, the owner of SugarMate, for helping me do this. You'll be able to see my blood sugar live 
at juiceboxpodcast.com, but there's a specific link you're going to need. So you'll get that in episode 418. My idea here is that if you can see how a pancreas handles things, it might help you to understand what you're shooting for. That makes sense? As a person using insulin, I know there can be this pressure to just you know keep the line completely flat all the time. But I thought maybe if you could see that sometimes someone's blood sugar goes to 130, 140, and then comes back down again, I thought that would be really helpful and kind of comforting. So I've set this up. I'm going to thank Dexcom for giving me the gear that I needed. And of course, Josh from SugarMate for helping me put it online. And I'm excited to show it to you. So that information will be in episode 418. And then after that, I'm going to show you the blood sugar of someone who is pre-diabetic, has some insulin resistance. And then I'm going to be looking for people who are really great at bolusing for certain meals to put their blood sugars live online during the bolus so we can watch them bolus for these meals. You'll be able to see pictures of the food and when the insulin goes in and how everything reacts. I think that'll be really cool. Uh, And I'm going to be doing the same thing, by the way. When I put my food in, you'll see a photograph of what I ate. It'll correspond with when I ate. Anyway, I think it's a really great idea. I'm super excited for it. That information will be in episode 418, which is coming in just a day or so. Thanks so much for listening to the Juicebox Podcast. We'll be back soon. Talk to you later.